Hey everybody, this is Dave Broadback. I'm coming to you live. Well, it's live right now. It's recorded for you. But coming to you uh, from what I have often called my podcast studio, which is actually uh, my daughter's bedroom, old bedroom. Anyway, uh, the lecture you're about to hear is for Psychology 3196, Human Evolutionary... So I hope everybody had a good break, and we're back. And today we're talking about child development, but also talk about sort of families too, because they go hand in hand, right? Um, you often hear it said, it takes a village to raise a child. We should all raise the children communally. Actually, no, we should probably all raise them. <laughs> the reason probably that communal child rearing seems like a good idea is that we did it that way for a very long time because we all lived in these family groups of between 30 and 50 people up until very recently. That's how we all lived. Um, but one of the things that happens with kids who are raised communally, uh, and I, we, there are some great examples of this, and there's, there's like a, experiments in nature, and the greatest example of this is in Israel. Where there's a movement called, uh, I think the movement, but I think it's, I know they're called kibbutzes that people live on. And they're communes. And in these kibbutzes, um, the kids are raised, it's okay. It's, it's such a long screen, it wouldn't matter. Uh, kids are raised communally. Okay? And the kids live, for the most part, or spend a lot of their time together, including sleeping in the same sort of rooms together. And the parents see them because the parents are doing things like farm work which is very labor intensive. So the parents only see them a couple days a week. Which is not, it's, it's not like anybody's forced to do this. Everybody knows this when they're going in. Okay? It's done like this on purpose. And it, because it's sort of a political social movement, kids are, people are encouraged to marry people from the same kibbutz. Except that's happened 17 times in the history of Israel. Hundreds and thousands of people have lived on kibbutzes, and it has happened 17 times. You know why? Think about it. Anybody have any ideas? It seems not like not very many. <laughs> yeah, please, Joe. Well, because when it's the, the whole incest stigma, even though they're not actually related, yeah. if they're growing up together, they seem to be similar. Yeah, so, so what's happened is something similar to imprinting. Right, so there was that article I sent you guys last time about mating and sort of mating and talked about imprinting, sexual imprinting, and recognizing who your siblings are. We have a me- we don't have a, a built-in like oh that's clearly my brother or my sister mechanism. We have a, I hung around with that kid ever since they were, we were little together. We are not that's not a sex partner. <laughs> People feel that way about their adopted brothers and sisters too. There's another nice example. So if you have an adopted brother or sister, and in fact, now this is going to sound really weird, and I'm not suggesting anything, but you would know your adopted brother or sister better than you would know any other person. That makes it an ideal mate choice. Yet we all get kind of grossed out by that because we think of brother and sister being hands-off. And again, justifiably so, because at that point, uh, recessive genes, no good. So it may take a village, but it's a, it used to be a village of relatives, and from the kids' point of view, they're still relatives when, they're, when kids are raised communally. So it's very interesting. Um, I love this kind of stuff because for the longest time, people couldn't figure out why. Because no one was thinking evolutionarily, they were just thinking not evolutionarily. I don't know. All right, so what's your family? Well, your family is your kin, obviously. Uh, and in reducing, or reducing is the third word? I don't know what I'm looking for. Decreasing levels of relatedness. Again, it used to be we were all cousins that were all together. Uh, it's not so much that anymore. So the idea, I guess, it's groups of relatives that stay together after sexual maturity. 
that's actually a really nice operational definition of what a family is, because now we don't have to worry about it's just a man and a woman and nothing else. And if you do anything else, you're going to be punished in eternal damnation. Um, I can say I was mocking a certain position there. Uh, I like that. I think it's a pretty good definition. Because it can also include, like, okay, so grandma lives with us, or it can include cousins who live with your uncles and aunts. It's, that's pretty good. It's pretty flexible. I like it. And it's also a good sort of evolutionary way to look at things. Now, one of the things we can look at then is, does this happen in other animals? And the answer is, yes, it happens in other animals. The greatest example is where it's called helpers at the nest. Um, so it's very common in birds, hence the word nest. And you get relatives who are not yet old enough, typically, to have found a partner, a mate. So what they do instead is they help raise the young. They could be uh, a cousin or a brother or a sister or whatever. So this is uh, common in a lot of birds, a lot of songbirds do this. And what happens is typically you get, after one year, a songbird will be sexually mature. But let's say a male is not going to have a whole lot of luck being able to defend the territory. He hasn't learned exactly how to do it. He's not being as strong as, as, as the more advanced males. So instead, what's the best thing he can do? Well, he can fly around and just fly around and go, I can't get any ladies. Or... He can help mom and dad raise his brothers and sisters. So he does that for a year, also in practice. Okay. And then he goes off, and the next year, you find a mate. One of the things that people have looked at, people looking at the functional aspect, the evolutionary aspect of homosexual behavior, is so like, why would you not have kids? Right? And again, why in the evolutionary sense, not why in the here and now sense? So it's a good question, right? Because how could something stay around on an evolutionary level if it's detrimental to your fitness, which it is, except maybe it's not. Maybe you're good helpers at the nest. So there's, I've read conflicting reports. This is the problem. The data are really, they argue with each other here, that the best uncles are gay uncles. Because gay uncles have more money than straight uncles, because gay uncles don't have children, so what they do is they give money to and toys to niece and nephew. Yeah. A lot of my gay friends subscribe to this because I think it, they, they think it makes them look good, and in fact, I think most of them think this is the case as well. Um, but it's not entirely clear if that's always the case. That's the problem. It makes such beautiful sense, and I wish it were always so, but it isn't always so. It's uncomfortable to be hot and cold. Put it back on in about 10 seconds. So helpers at the nest, this could be, it's been floated as a reason why, an evolutionary reason why homosexual behavior uh, continues to exist in the animal kingdom, which it's all over, it's not just human, it's all over the animal kingdom. By the way, anybody tells you it's not natural, you two, two, two things. First thing you say is don't fall for the naturalistic fallacy, and yes, it is. So, okay. Two fronts. Then say it also throw in, you're also a bigot. I'm going to throw that in. That may have been an editorial comment. See, so you've got help. You've also got the idea of reciprocal altruism, right? So I get something from. It's a very cold way to look at family relationships, in a way. When I get something, I do something nice for my daughter, she's going to do something nice for me. And she's more likely to because we share genes. It's not the reason we had kids. Well, we'll have so they can help out around the farm. Um, we don't have a farm. I doubt either of you will be much help on a farm, and nor would I. 
So is that like how parents have kids and they're like, oh, you're going to look after me in my old age? Oh, I, I think that's exactly, when you look at it, that kind of thing up until pretty recently was just expected. Like that was something that people said. Like people had kid, had families of 12 and 14 children because they needed farm hands. Like that wasn't something that was, nobody thought it was a bad, it was also, go ahead, we have kids. Also, can they start work yet? I mean, it was not, a, it was not an uncommon thing. And when you look at when societies move from being more agrarian to being more non-agrarian, more urban, the birth rate goes down. I mean, if you look at, and that's common in all of the, all Western societies, uh, the birth rates drop, and then uh, because people don't need kids to take care of them in their old age, because the state will help do it, or they can put money in their RSP, which, by the way, the deadline is tomorrow. Um, does the helpers at the nest syndrome also explain people that don't want to have kids? Yeah, this is an interesting thing, too, because humans are, probably, are almost certainly the only animals that make the choice. I'm just going to have kids, which is a perfectly valid thing. Go ahead. But you don't see deer doing that by choice. There's males standing around going, I don't ever But, I mean, they want to make. Um, we could look at people who just choose not to have kids, do they give more things to their little kid relatives than their friends who have, or sorry, their relatives who have kids? And I would almost certainly say it's true, but, so yeah, they, they could be helpers of the nest. Again, the data aren't entirely clear, which is a shame, because it makes such good freaking sense. So you got reciprocal altruism in families. Um, there isn't quite altruism because there's a kin relationship, but you're more likely to get something good from someone because they know you're going to pay it back because it helps everybody because everybody's related. Right? I have no problem lending my kids money. Well, one kid, the other one lives with us. You know, the, you don't lend your kids money when you live with it. But if Maddie called me right now and said, I need $1,000, I'd stop the class and transfer money into her bank account. It's not a problem. Would you ask about it? No. Like with a large sum like that? No. Oh, my parents would ask about it. No, it's a little, I, assume, I assume she's smart. I, I assume she needs the money. $50,000? I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> I could probably raise $50,000 in a couple of days. I could, I could kill a couple of guys. No, but I think like, if it was hundreds or even up to like a thousand bucks, I, I just, and she said, I, I need it until next week and I'll pay you back. I don't know. 12000 I don't have that. For a what? A what? An opal tooth. If she said that, I'd tell her she was out of her mind. And no, that's crazy. But if she was going to pay me, I assume she's going to pay me back. What if John asked you for money? I give him money. Oh. But I give him an allowance, though. Oh. Yeah, so, so he can learn to manage money. You know, why do you give your kids allowances? And so they don't have to constantly ask you for money. But they do. You become like oh, yeah. a bank machine. The other day, he brought me my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I need $20. He said, I'm soon. I don't carry cash, son. You take PayPal? <laughs> no, exactly. We said, sure. I get the app. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, that's how I pay. But yeah, I mean, because I know I'm going to get it back, right? First of all. And secondly, then maybe again, one day she'll, I'll say to Maddie, when, when, when I'm all retired and I have no money. Pay up. No, I'll say, I need a thousand bucks. And she'll say, okay, here you go. Oh, I got well, you would, but you're not as good a daughter as my daughter is. So, I kid because I love. So, there's some good reasons to live in a family, right? Okay, parents invest in kids. Again, it's a this is a, this is a very cold and calculating way to look at families and relationships. And you know what? I I feel weird doing it because I, I get very emotional about my family. So it's a very strange thing for me to, th- to think about. But I can, I am capable of doing this. So there's an investment in the kids, and I mean, you know, it's, I'm not talking necessarily about money. I'm talking about resources in general. So the kids, from the kids' perspective, they'd like it to go on forever, right? Hey, I get food. I don't have to get my own food. Excellent. As actually, my daughter said, and I said, "You want to go away to school, or do you want to go alone?" And she said, "Why would I leave?" You cook my food, you clean my clothes, and you're nice people. 
Why am I going away? Very good. That's all I wanted to hear. Now, for the parents, on the other hand, they eventually would be served best by saying, okay, now you go out in the world and go do your own thing. We're going to make more. Right? The greatest moment, by the way, in your life is when you realize, I can make my own people. That's a thing I can do. I can make people. Yeah, but, but, but much more fun, and later much more frustrating and messy. Yeah, it's more fun when you're making them. That's what I'm saying. That's what I was referring to. Oh, okay. In an oblique way. So let's look at this genetically. Mother or daughter share half of their genes, or daughter, sorry, the, the mother and the daughter or son share half of their genes. Right? At some point, the mother would be better served by having another child. In other words, by not investing. In other words, by not feeding them out of her own body. Does it make sense? You see the reason? Could you explain that last point? I can't. Sorry. No, I certainly can't. So, for the mother, she shares half her genes with her baby. Mm -hmm. From the baby's point of view, I'd like that to go on forever. That's perfect. Uh, this is the best one. Because you keep getting You, you don't keep getting get free it. stuff. Yeah. Free stuff is the best stuff. Even <laughs> shitty free stuff is still free. Um, no, that's what I always say at conferences. People with a coffee sucks. And what do we pay for? It's free coffee. Drink up, you know. So you get investment from mom and dad. And let's ignore dad for a second because never, dad's never really sure if it's his kid. No, he can't know. He can't know. He can be reasonably sure, but mom knows because mom was there when kid came out. So mom's certain. So from baby's point of view, so baby looking up, he's like. You keep doing this because I'm happy with it. Mom's like, okay, now you can stop because I'm going to make more copies of my genes. You can live. You, 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 you've made it. Right? So from the parent's point of view, from the mother's point of view, it makes sense at some point to, to want to stop investing in the kid and invest in some more kids. Well, what difference does it make if it goes to the resources go to one kid or to ten kids? This kid now can live on its own. Now there's 0.5 of my genes out in the world. Let's make more of my genes to put them out in the world. So the job has been done now. Yeah, the job's done. The kid can live. Okay. So what I'm saying is, at this point now, the kid could live without being fed from. You usually think of this from breastfeeding, from weaning. And in fact, parent-offspring conflict. Looking at weaning age is a great way to look at it. Um. And nobody goes off bottles or breasts easy. Right? Nobody says, ah, that's no problem. I just said no more, and that was it. That doesn't work that way. You know? So having more offspring increases your fitness. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it does. Yeah. But of course, if you have offspring before the other one can survive, now you're splitting up your resources among two, and that's a bad decision for the mom. Right? Yeah. Okay. Make sense? Yeah. Good. Now, other questions? Does that make sense? So again, this is a very you know, cold and calculating way to look at having children, but we're scientists, damn it. That's what we do. So the conflict then should continue until the parental cost is two times the benefit to the offspring. Because mom shares all her genes with herself. 1.0. And 0.5 with your kid. So we should be able to predict that when the cost is two times the benefit to the offspring, that's when there should be this parent-offspring conflict between those spaces. I'll show you a graph in a second that sort of outlines this. So it's the best interest of the parent to have a kid, and both the parent and the kid to have another kid. At some point to the other kid, it's like, okay, you can go have more kids because it'll share half my genes too. Now it makes sense. I want a little Sally or Jimmy or Bobby or... Okay, <laughs> I was trying. I was going to get a little more multicultural if I could. I, I was only trying to think of a name. Which 
I don't even know that name. Okay, let's go with that. I swear to God, it's a name. I, I believe <laughs> there are seven and a half billion people in this planet. There's probably someone named Lightbulb. There's Superman. Superman. I would never. That's what a dumb name. I knew a guy named Blue. Blue? Yeah, Blue. Yeah. Really? I yeah. Oh, I wanted to make him What? Oh, not like OS. Not OS. He like luxury. No, no, like lessons in light. Luxurious. Luxurious and what's the short? After the Gwen Stefani song, 2000. Okay, that's good. It's an approach. I thought I was really going to meet my son Darwin. Okay, so I thought it was pretty good. So at some point, it's in everybody's interest that another kid happens. Okay? So just to continue, not the continuation of investment, but also the amount. Um, can be a bone of intention, uh, contention, right? So the, the kid, it's not just like, it's not like how you divide it up, but how much I get. So we can look at it here. This is the, this is what we should predict parent-offspring conflict to happen. Now here we have a species that's maturing pretty quickly. Here we have one that's maturing very slowly. Humans, humans mature more slowly than any other animal. Right. But yeah, that's true. Right. Once it's two times, everybody agrees because mom shares half her genes with herself. Right. Baby shares half. Uh, sorry, all her genes with herself. Baby shares half its genes with. Uh, with mom and all its genes with itself and it will share half its genes with new brother or sister so at some point we're going to have parent offspring conflict no matter what the species this, this, this stuff by the way applies to any species where there's parental care right? if there's no parental care if it's like salmon it doesn't matter because there's no parental investment the investment was all done physiologically before the eggs were laid. But if there's investment in offspring, this is where we're going to see this. And the longer the maturation, so the lower this curve goes, the lower the slope of that curve. So the one on the right is more like a human, the one on the left is more like a dog. Yes, please. So is the saying that there's an optimum time to have two offspring versus... No, not necessarily. Uh, it's saying that it's optimal for both the kid and the parent that there be another baby born, right. another offspring, another child, another more young. And that would be once the investment is, the return of the investment to the kid is twice what it is to the mom, then they both agree. It's like, now mom, you're wasting time. Okay. You're wasting resources. You could give this to some other baby that I'll share half my genes with too. Why does the kid care? Because the kid wants his genes passed on. This consciously No, the mom isn't consciously caring about okay, at this point now this child can live independently and eat pattern. I will have more children. There are probably moms who think like that in the world. I guess, because again, there's seven and a half billion of us on this planet, so there's three and a quarter billion women. There's probably some who think that way. I agree with you. But you will think that way with a being consciously aware. Okay. I guess right. that's kind of why, like, once your kids are toddler and like walking around, so like people get like oh, baby so fever again, right? What about would it not make sense to have twins then? Yeah, it's all, the, the problem with twins is that you've got to do the investment for both of them at the same time, and you only women only have so much uh, they can give. Yeah, quadruple. Right. So why did or or often is this selection after I mean, think of it this way. We can think of it as litter size. The standard litter size in a human is one. We don't have litters of six or seven. We sometimes have a litter of two. That's about as far as it goes three exceedingly rarely. Um, if it was possible, if, if, if it was possible to do all this investment in a very short period of time, I bet our litter sizes would be bigger. And in fact, when we look at animal size and also their uh, rate of maturation, if it's quicker, the litters are bigger. You know, rat pups, rats have 12 babies, 10 babies at once. But cows have one calf. We have one baby. Because 
evolutionarily, I mean, selection would act against uh, having a litter size of more than one. Yeah. So, Good question. Is that also too because um, we like if one of our kids is less expendable than one twelfth a litter of rats? Yes. Okay. Is less expendable in that we put more? No. Because we invest so much. So yeah, that but that's that's a, that's actually a fallacy, right? Because yeah. just because I put a whole bunch into something doesn't mean I'm going to get paid off. Of it. Yeah. That's what keeps people pulling down the lever of the slot machine. Um, <laughs> but it's also the case that it's a pretty good rule of thumb that if I put a lot into something, I'll probably get something out of it. Nature actually works that way, even though it's a fallacy. It's, it's a logical fallacy, mm -hmm. but a lot of because nature has very few dependent events, it makes sense to act that way. Yeah, because like if oh, very few humans go like, oh, this baby got kidnapped, let's just have another. Yes. Whereas like rats, they probably wouldn't even notice. Like, oh, That's probably one. the case. Um, but I mean, we need to develop a whole. When you look at things like cognitive dissonance in humans, the oh. fact that we can do something and then justify it, and not only really be aware that we justify it, because cognitive dissonance, you have to be aware. To, you have to not be aware, right? So you have to be like. Of course I spent an extra $8,000 on an expensive car because it'll be safer. And it's like, no, it's not safer. You like spend an extra $8,000 and you're losing it. Right? But you justify it to yourself. But the thing is, in our evolutionary history, in our past, it made a whole lot of sense to behave that way. And in fact, out, because, because out in the wild, investment usually equals income. Right? You want to see a paper on that, read Broadbeck and Broadbeck on cognitive dissonance in 2017. So... And we had to have we had it's the weirdest, the weirdest journal. They wanted pictures of us. Aww. Yeah, so it's got a picture of Maddie at a some aquarium pointing at a giant crab boy. And they wanted me, you know the picture of me that it's on my Insta? No, no, it's not there. It's one of me doing this. Oh, in front of the chalkboard. Yeah, yeah. 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 What are we gonna do? Where are we gonna find a picture? Oh, there's one. Let's take a selfie. First, I'll take a selfie. <laughs> so, this is where the conflict should happen. And in fact, typically, this, when we look at the, the, the sort of, if you quantify the rate of the, the I'm sorry, the, 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 the maternal investment, which you can do because with moms, it's, we can quantify it with, with, with um, making milk, like it's, it's dual. You can't do it with dads so easily, right? But you can't with moms. And then you take a look at the, what the kid's getting physiologically. We can predict when there's parent-offspring conflict, it's going to be right. So there's weeding happening, and that's, there is conflict there. On the other hand, sibling rivalry, that's two kids, right? You heard, Remember, you share half, of, half your genes with your brother or sister on average. It's usually a little bit more or a little bit less, but on average it's going to be half. And you share all your genes with yourself. So if, my, if mom or dad are giving something to my brother or my sister, I, I, I it better be I better be getting something out of it too, basically. So monozygotic twins should be nicer to each other than dizygotic twins. To go back to our litters of humans, right? There should be, and this is interesting because the only difference here is genetic. There is no environmental difference really to speak of between. Dysagogic and monosynthetic twins. Unfortunately, the data really aren't very clear. The other problem here is how are we going to measure this? Right. We could get kids into the lab and have them do play some kind of game. That's possible. Subjects are going to be hard to find. Uh, we could look at pairs of twins. As adults, and see if they're more or less likely to lend each other money, things like that. Again, the data aren't really clear here; they're equivocal at best. We would we would certainly expect this. We'd certainly expect. Nice to share. You should share. It's not very good with sharing. 
forget to share. So it's like we, we teach our kids to do that. It's funny. It probably makes more sense if we don't say this. Be like, you'd never say to your, your to your kid, you know, it's nice to share, but especially if people share genes with you. Be nicer to your first cousins than your second cousins. Well, twice as nice to the first and the second. And then, you know, no, but you know what? That's This is the neat thing here is when you look at this and you see kids playing together and sharing things, this does happen when they in family groups. Is that because of the reciprocal? Well, that's basically what it, what it, sharing is. Reciprocal altruism, but you should, when you throw in the genetic factor, the, the, the uh, kid selection, you should be, if you're going to give something to a second cousin, you should get twice as much back as if you give the same thing to a first cousin. And does that have anything to do, like, do they do a similar study with kids who look alike? The look thing, it's tough. Um... One of the things that we we do know that people who are friendships, for example, I've talked about this before, friendships, strangely, there are all kinds of weird physical variables that correlate with each other. So, And people share things with friends. Friends, in fact, become something like in two family, right? We, friendships didn't... I mean, there were friendships in the EA, except they were all your relatives anyway. You know, whereas now it's a little bit different, right? You meet people from all over the place. Right? We can look around the room, there's people from all kinds of different places, different parts of the world. That's cool. And you can all become friends. But friends are more likely to become friends with people who share very, you would be surprised, things like it's, it's the, the area of your earlobe, the length of your middle toe. Like, you're more likely to share those, uh, the correlation between earlobe size among friends versus non-friends is not trivial. Um, blood type. You're more likely to share your blood type with a friend than with a non-friend. What? It's not like... Do you even notice? How do you know? I don't know. No one knows how we figure out each other's blood types. Because when I first meet people, I don't say, now, if, we're gonna, if this relationship is going to go any further, if we're going to hang out, you got to probably have to take a couple of blood tests. No one does that. But somehow we recognize it. How has this been uh, like studied? Like, oh, all you do is ask people how close friends they are, and you take take their blood. No, but like, why behind this? What I just said, because like, you can predict that we would be we're going to be friends with people who are more genetically similar to us. It makes sense to be friends with people more genetically similar because when we, when we do something nice for them, we get something out of it too because they share some more genes. So we just innately know that. We somehow know. No one really knows how. That, that's what I was reading. Yeah. yeah. Well, the mechanisms are not. It's generally of the sharing concept with family members and how you're more likely to do it. Yeah. Um, what about in terms of mixed families? Uh, people, uh, we will get there shortly, actually. We'll talk about some stuff like that. Yep. Good question. Yeah, I don't know. No one knows what these mechanisms are, but. And they're strange. Like, I get that you would be, if it was eye color. Because you can see that. But you can't see somebody's blood type. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's probably something you can smell. It's probably something you can smell. It's, it's almost certainly something you can How the hell else would it work? Because blood types don't correlate with skin tones. They don't correlate with hair color. It's probably smell. It's probably some sort of pheromone thing. Yeah, It's probably what it is. But again, I don't. When I first met, the, the, probably the best friend I have uh, here at work is Ken Herndon, who's the university librarian. Very close friend, has been friends for a long time. And I, I was on the committee that interviewed him for his job, and I remember I came home that night and Isabel said, "How it go?" I said, "I want to be his friend, so I hope we hire him." And but I didn't go when he enjoyed his interview. By the way, can I steal your arguments? Uh, so, but we we're pretty close friends. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> so you should also go be nice to strangers. You got to teach your kids in the right situations. It's okay to share with other kids who are not related to you if you expect to get something in return. Again, we would never teach our children this way, but we do teach them that in a social situation to be nice. In other words, we teach our kids reciprocal altruism, right? Which is 
the altruism that isn't about kid selection. So we say, just because you know that kid, you should still be pleasant, like when you're at the park with your little kid. You get them to play with other kids, unless you're one of those weird mothers that follows the child around in the playset. What if everything's dirty? You have the Lysol wipe the yeah, other children pe- pe- Yeah, people like that. That's their first kid. <laughs> now, the second kid, it's like when the old jump, right? So the sooner you don't have sus, and then first kid, if it drops on the floor, you throw it in the garbage, you get a new one. Second kid, you... you, you no, no, second kid, you probably throw it in boiling water, because you're boiling bottles and stuff, too. So like the sixth kid. Third kid, yeah, you, you, you maybe run onto the water. Fourth kid, you just get the dog to like it. <laughs> right? It's like, you know, once, once you've had one kid, you don't do that. You don't do that. Make sure everything's clean because you, know, you know you can't really break them. Yeah. Is there um, similar sharing behavior in species other than primates? Oh, sure. Birds. That's birds right. share. Yeah, a lot of birds. Yeah. They will share like, food amongst each other? Or uh, is it more, it's different? It, it's, it's, it's more of a primate thing, but it does happen if you remember they were talking about uh, vampire bats last term in animal behavior. They share blood meals and they're not related. Or they're less related than, or they're related to chance levels, let's say that. So it does happen. It's much more, of course, and then we got bees and wasps and stuff like that. They live in colonies. So we refer to this as group, um, what, what, what do we call it? Like a group? No, no, there is a specific term. It's not group selection. Not group selection. It's uh, not. It's self I'm thinking of something else. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So you should be nice to strangers in the right situation. In other words, usually when you're kids, you should be nice to each other because we train our kids to do reciprocal altruism. It's good for you and it's good for your children. And if it's good for your children, it's good for you because your children share your genes. Remember when I sent out the email to all my friends that that that, uh, that, that we were going to have a kid, and I, I, I said, uh, you sent them an email? Yeah. To my friends, I don't. They were all over the freaking world. We're going to call them. Skype. Yes, because Skype hacked, Skype really existed in 1993. Um, so Sorry, I emailed, AOL Messenger. No, it wasn't AOL. I didn't, ever, I didn't ever use AOL. I could have, I guess, set up a Usenet news group, but no, I, I sent a, uh, an email to people and the subject line was inclusive fitness. Because, <laughs> of course, all my friends are scientists. Oh, now we're going to get to... Diamond's favorite part of the lecture because she wants, she thinks the fantasite's cool. Um, <laughs> no, it's from a flash. She's thinking, maybe, oh, she was talking in stats about the fantasite. She said, can I do something like fantasite? Like paper, which I think you want to do, right? Yes. Yeah. But I said, well, we're going to slide called the fantasite today. So you're going to love it because you love killing babies. So, <laughs> a joke, a joke. We all know that she's only, only done it a few times. So, it's a joke. It's still a joke. She's not a baby killer that I know of. So, this is a depressing topic, right? We can sit here and make light of it, but it was still, it's, that, those were uncomfortable jokes. Some of you are just going, Duh. but I'm edgy. I'm like uh, Bill Burr. I had not something about it. I had to think of an edgy comedian that hadn't done any weird sexual harassment. So, it's a long list. So, it's a pretty common practice. Uh, it's not as common as it used to be, but it's a common practice. We still hear about, we still hear about infanticide happening when we hear things, weird things about a baby found in a dumpster. It's horrible, right? But these are never situations where it's a middle-class family that has money and both parents have jobs. This is this is a 15-year-old kid who's, who's, who's scared and gets rid of the kid. I hate to ask this, but in this case, infanticide is abortion, right? No. Oh, okay. We can think of it that way, but probably not. I mean, I, first of all, it's Because I was just, like, I know No, we're talking about killing babies. Okay, so not killing groups of cells. No, 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 I'm not killing groups of cells. I'm talking about killing actual viable humans. Like post-born babies. Yes, actual babies, not fetuses. Okay. Yeah, I'm talking about killing babies. Oh, no, if I had the abortion, I'd say abortion. Thank you. Yeah. It's interesting how 
under very stressful situations, uh, spontaneous abortion happens. Right? So women will get pregnant, but there's no way under those situations. This is not a viable form of birth control, by the way. But, uh, but under certain situations, under a great deal of stress, uh, women will, will miscarry very early on in pregnancy. Well, like also, too, if you're under a certain body weight or over a certain body weight, you can't have a child. Well, yeah, it, it, or it, the chance of miscarriage is, ex- is exceedingly high. Yeah. yeah. That, and of course, those are just, that evolution makes a great deal of sense. Right? No, I'm talking here about literally killing babies. Okay. I'm talking about leaving a baby in a dumpster. That kind of thing, which is horrible. It's horrible. So you got to remember the naturalistic fallacy. It actually may make a great deal of sense sometimes. It's a horrible thing to say. In those situations, it probably made sense for the person not to do what with the child. Right? That's awful to say. Is that also why older women usually don't have as great of a chance of carrying the term? They want to the, yeah, well, I don't know if that's a selection thing as much as, well, I mean, everything's a result of it at some level. Yeah. But... Just that. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I don't know a functional reason for that. That makes sense to me, but I don't know if that's true. Would they not have other resources. Yeah, it may be that. Like it, it may be metabolic resources. Yeah, they're more likely, in fact, to have the. the yeah, financial. Yeah, yeah, but of course, there were, were women didn't live. See, the fact that women had menopause was never a deal, big deal, because women didn't. Nobody lived past thirty. Right up until like. 10,000 years ago, we didn't live past 30. We'd be, we'd, you guys, I would be dead, by the way, so I don't know who'd be teaching it. And the rest of you guys have all had like six or eight kids by now. Most of them had already died, by the way. So, the world's better now than it was there. What about the likelihood of, um, like when you're older and having a child with a cognitive or developmental yeah. disability? Sure. So, like, it doesn't, it's not similar though, but how is that why is that a thing? Why does the likelihood increase? That I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Oh, okay. I just don't know. It's a good question. I don't know the answer. I just think that the older you get, the more poorly everything works. Oh, the recombination of the gene. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, right? I mean, the older you get, the more poorly you wear it. Do you get arthritis? Yeah, yeah. Your knees hurt and they pop when you do this. You pee all the time and nothing comes out. I'm not sharing anything. I'm saying that's not going to be um, So this can make some sense. So it's exactly all this. Yeah, that's all it is. You know what the interesting thing is? Because of the overpopulation in China, which, I mean, there's 1.6 million people in China, the government about 40 years ago uh, brought in a law called the One Child Law, which said you could have one kid which, of course, led to some infanticide uh, because people wanted boys rather than girls. It's turning out that they're probably going to repeal the one-child law, and the big reason is they've got stuff in China right now, so they don't, people don't want to have 17 kids anymore. Their birth rate's dropping just like every other country that gets developed. Okay, what are parents going to fight over? Well, certainty of paternity is going to be the first big one. Um, is that my kid or not? Okay, so parents are going to fight over that. There's, going to, there's con- potential conflict there. So it's, and I think I told you guys that the mother's, sorry, the father's family, and this is stuff you just watch people when they first meet the kid. 50% of the time say that the baby looks like the mom, 50% of the time say it looks more like the dad. And in fact, that's exactly what we expect by random chance. And the mother's family, 70% of the time say it looks like the father, and 30% of the time say it looks like the mom. Functionally, they're trying to convince the father to keep investing in this baby that might not be his. But it's definitely their daughters who then shares a quarter of its genes with them. That's cross-cultural, too. That's not just in Western society. People are doing this on purpose. There's no way they're thinking. Uh, I'm, I'm sure some people are, but 
I can't remember what people said about Maddie and John when they were born, who they looked like more, but I don't think uh, Noella, my, my, my uh, mother-in-law, when she said, actually she did say that she, she looked like my mom, that Maddie looked like my mom, because uh, she called her Matitit Leslie, and I don't think she thought to herself, I better, think, better say that just to convince Dave that that's his kid. She would have thought that in French, by the way, not in English. I, in fact, I'm certain she didn't think that. Because, I mean, I thought she looked like... I thought she looked like my mom. But then now she just looks like a combination of Isabel and I. She's got all the good bits of... Well, any good bits of looks for me and all of her. Yeah? Is there anything or, like, any studies that look mm-hmm. at if this still occurs as the child ages? That's an interesting question. I've never heard about anything like that. It's more about... Once the kid's born, but so I don't see anything like that when they get older. Uh-huh. I bet it, it goes off to 50 50. Because I think now you've convinced dad you don't have to yeah. yeah. That'd be my guess. Right. It's also hard to argue when, like, babies really don't look like anybody. They look like Winston Churchill. That's what babies <laughs> look like, right? Babies are not, brand new born babies are not cute. They're ugly, they're gross. They get cute in about a week, by the way. Like, it takes very little time for a newborn baby to get cute, but when they're first born, they are not nice. They're wrinkly. And they want to just get, they look like Winston Churchill. They look like, never have so few in so much. So many. But you'll fight them on the beaches. I said it to John. He'll be holding us like a little You'll fight them on the landing zone. You'll never surrender. Never became that interested in Winston Churchill. But anyway. Um. So you can't really tell who they look like anyway. Like, you really can't. A newborn baby. It takes a very short period of time to go, okay, those eyes, I know where they come from. Right? Where that nose is shaped like. But, um, when they're first born, they don't look like anybody. They look like really weird-looking little humans. With giant heads. Think about the size of babies' heads. Have you ever thought about how big a baby head is? They're huge! They can't, you can't hold it up. That's right. So we can also look at stepchildren. Where are we going to get internal conflict in the family? Right? So you're going to get this idea. Are we going to get more... What would we expect? We would expect nicer behavior to biological children than to adopted children. And yes. That's just... There's data on that like crazy. Right? I'm not saying that A, you should be like that, or B, if you were adopted or you're in a family where your parents split up and then you got other family together, Brady Bunch style, that... That happened to you. I'm saying it's more likely that it did. There's more abuse to adopted children than to biological children. I hate the word abuse, by the way, because it means because it implies there's proper use of a child. I don't like it, but I don't know what another word is. Biological children. It's kind of cumbersome. Being a dick. Yeah, being a dick. Yeah, just being a dick is pretty good. So we should be able to predict what the most common grounds for divorce are. Right? If we know this stuff about families, we should now know, be able to predict why do people's marriages split up. And of course, I think we all know it's because of... Uh, <laughs> I was going to say something sarcastic, and I'm not going to... Okay! You, no, you, you, can just, you can just write your own joke, is what I'm saying. At this point, just fill in the blank, write your own joke. What's that? can't like that. Don't leave us hanging. Oh, I was going to say something in this because of uh, uh, probably immorality, homosexuality, uh, what else would we blame it on? Uh, not people not having guns, like anything that whole side of the That's what I was going to go with. vote for Trump. Uh, so it's all about, so that, and that's why also hurricanes. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's just a theory. Uh, so what should we expect? We should expect it to be infidelity and infertility, right? People cheating and people not being able to have children. And guess what the most common grounds for divorce are if you look at every grounds in our culture ever? Yeah. It's cross-cultural. So the, the two biggest grounds are infertility and infidelity. Now, if both of these, either of these things are true, it's in fact the best bet, the best thing to do, in fact, is to leave, right? 
Because it's like, I might end up raising children that aren't mine, or somebody's out there screwing around and spreading and I'm not getting it. Yeah, no, no, no. So in fact, divorce makes a great deal of evolutionaries. Or couples splitting up in certain situations, right? I'm not saying it's nice or it's fun to go through and all those things. That's certainly not true. And remember, if something makes evolutionary sense, it is not a, a justification for anything. Never. Don't think that way. You can't. It doesn't work that way. You're bare and I'm gone. Yeah, but that happens. It's weird to me, but it happens. What about annulments? Well, that's more that's religious thing. Yeah, that's basically a way for people to have divorces that weren't more or less divorces, right? And that's why you end up with the Church of England, right? Oh, yes. Because Henry VIII is like, well, you don't, you're not giving me any male heirs, and I'm sleeping with her anyway. I go tell, I ask the Pope, I we were never married. Yeah. And then the Pope's like, no, everybody knows you're married to her. So yeah. So yeah, eventually he starts some religion. Okay. So let's think about attachment that kids have to their mom's death. Okay. At the very beginning, by the way, when you first have a kid, you can pass them around. And that's what you do. And it's your first kid, you're really nervous if you touch your child, but he said, just hold the head. It's like, I'm not a moron. Just gonna hold it by the feet. Yeah, I'm just gonna hold it up with like, my one arm. Yay, winner! <laughs> not a half wit. So you know what? When it's a new parent, you don't say things like that and you spank them, you don't say I'm not stupid. You go, I know. I was nervous like that with my kids at first too. Well, the first one. The second one, ah. At first, you can do that. Then you get around somewhere between 10 and 14 months, and they don't want to be away from you. Right? It's interesting watching kids play when they get older, and they can move around. And I remember this especially with John, is that he would be playing, like he would be over to somebody's house. And he'd be playing, of course, everybody, all our friends were older than us. So nobody had, they hadn't had little kids in years. So they just loved that there was a little kid around. And like, you'd always see him, he'd be playing, but then every, but every 10 seconds he'd look up and just sort of find out where his bone I wear. Back to, back to doing, back to winding things up. Whatever the hell he was doing. Um, it's pretty common. Separation anxiety hits Right at the time it should hit, exactly what we would expect when we look at this from an evolutionary angle, because it's right around the time that a kid can survive without being breastfed. So the kid, from the kid's point of view, it's like, I need, I want my mommy, that's fine. From the parent's point of view, it's an honest signal from the kid, I don't know where my mommy is. Pretty cool. By the way, kids are manipulative as hell. Right? No, tears. What do you think tears are? They just want to manipulate you. Oh, it works, by the way. It's completely, it completely works. Right? But it's, and that's just it's selected for. That's just the way she works. Here's a neat question. Why are kids kids? Like, why aren't they just come out as adults? Not, you know, fully grown. But why aren't they just ready to... They can't even walk. What kind of loser animal are we? Other animals can walk. And see. Yeah. And Horses, like, you, you see that thing, you don't see it, the horse people, it's like, it gets up and says, all right, so I'm here. I'm horse. I'm fine. I'm a small horse. <laughs> runs around, runs 20 miles an hour. But they still get the separation. Oh, sure. No, of course, yeah. Well, with humans, there's a lot to learn. We have this long, not only a long gestation period, but a long developmental period for both social uh, development and for cognitive development. And it makes quite a sense that we have a very long period where we don't 
We're not sexually mature, but we actually can pretty much live on our own. I'm not saying you should be get your own place when you're four, but that'd be weird. Or oh, you buy at the grocery store. I want more chips and Oreos. Which is, by the way, I don't know if you guys, when you first moved out, did you buy a lot of Oreos and stuff like that when you first went grocery shopping? Yeah, the whole bag. I had a whole bag of cookies, and I called my brother and said, I just went grocery shopping for my, myself for the first time in my life, and I'm eating an entire bag of Oreos for, for dinner because um, I'm an adult now, and no one can tell me what to do. <laughs> and then he, he moved out from among dad's place like two years later. He did exactly the same thing and forgot and called me and forgot that, he, that I'd done it. I paid him eating just nothing but chips and pop tonight for dinner. We go. Um, so we have a lot of development to do between, say, three or four, and when do we start going through puberty? Uh, Eleven, twelve. Think about a rat. Rats are born, and in twenty-eight days, they are sexually mature. Yeah, but their life cycle is a lot shorter. Yeah, I understand that, but they also they have a lot less to learn. Yeah, of course, their life cycle is shorter. But there are things that are bigger than us that lives all around us and are sexually mature in a couple of years. Bears are a lot bigger than us. It's actually pretty good that kids are the way they are. It makes sense that kids take a long time to develop. It actually makes them practice being adults. We have to teach them our culture. Right? Is there cultural transmission on the rail? Sure. Well, there is. There's, there's, there's things that we can call cultural transmission. So, behavioral things. Uh, different sparrows in different areas have different accents and they're songy. Um, there's certainly social learning that goes on in chimps. Incredibly proud of their little accomplishments. Okay. The smallest little tiny thing. And we get all excited about it too as parents and uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters. Wow, you what a great painting. It's not a great painting. It's awful. <laughs> no, really, kids can't draw. There's the odd kid who can draw. But they're really weird kids, right? So you look no. Most kids, right, they'll try it. You'll, you'll get this. One day you will get, in your life, if you ever have children, you will get, a, the kid will come home from school and they'll have drawn a picture that looks like, you know, and it'll say, Sad. <laughs> and you look at something like that. See, that's, that's the best I can do with it. Um, you'll look at something like that, you know, you'll say, Oh, it's beautiful. Objectively, it's horrible. It's a horrible picture. Right? Or, or, or whatever. It doesn't matter what. Right? We, we get really proud of stupid little accomplishments. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's not like, well, oh, did you cure cancer today? Well, shut up. Uh, it's not big, but you know what? We deceive kids into their, their little accomplishments. Being good. Oh, you pooped in a toilet. Well, you know what? Most of society can do that. Way to go. Um, by the way, that's one of the great things. It's like, oh, I don't use my diapers anymore. Oh, that'll save me a million dollars a year. Um, so it's self-deception, but it's also us deceiving kids. And us deceiving, it's us, our self-deception too, because we are lying to ourselves, literally. When you look at something, and I've done this with you know, close friends, they say, look at the picture, my head, it's not very good. Is your head that big? You, know, you have a lot of fun with that. Um, you know, kids always draw, the sky is a line of blue up here, and then there's a line of green down here, and then in between, a void. It's like, there's no matter, no energy. The sun is always in the corner. That's a horrible picture. But you, you look at it, this is, this is really something. I'm going to put this on my door at work. 
And no one comes in and goes, boy, your kid, is your kid kind of slow? Because <laughs> that's not a very good representation of the world. Right? We get really excited, and we should. It's great, because we're teaching them. But we are objectively wrong. Like, they are not great at cheating. That's not a great picture. It's horrible. Right? Yeah, but it's great for their level. Yeah, but you know what? That's fine. And let's make them really excited. It's good that they do that, but it is not that good. You know, oh, way to go. You can count to four. I can count to as far as I can go. How long, how long would you like me to go? Yeah, but in terms of life experiences, that's where that's, that's what my point is. Well, no, exactly. But the thing is, the life you're, you're, you're making my argument for me. In terms of life experience, we have to give them the life experience, and they get it, because they have to learn so much of our culture. This is why humans have this horribly long period of childhood that other species don't have. Right? We have this huge time between sexual maturity, or sort of between independence, we'll call it, say around three or four, and sexual maturity. It's a long time. No other animal has that happen. Other animals, once they're, except for a couple, chimps, elephants, or, or that way too, but most animals, it takes their sexually mature once, once they're finished with being independent. So, there's this notion that there's a social clock. When do you leave home? When do you have kids? When do you marry them? Parents actually typically push kids out. Not, you know, physically. And they also don't um, force... I know some people do it. Most parents don't say, if you don't... But when you turn 18, you must leave. Some people do that, but it's pretty rare. But they start saying things like, so what do you want to do with your life? You know, things like, that involve leaving. This actually makes some sense. It makes some sense because if I get my kids out of the door, this is evolutionary over here, they can go make copies of my genes. I can't do it anymore. But we can't do it anymore. But you know what we can do? We can get them to go out and make copies of our genes. I will never be, I, I've you know, resolved to never be the guy that says, so when am I getting grandchildren? Never going to do that. The only thing I am looking forward to when that does happen is to say, oh, babies are great, babies are great. Oh, shit itself, you can have them back. <laughs> you can take care of that. You know, the, great, the grief for lost children is the greatest at about 11 or 12. And we can look at this. Uh, there's data on this just looking at kids dying. It's but this actually makes sense because this is the age at which kids can start to have babies. This made sense in the EA. Literally, this is a beautiful example of the disconnect from the EA. Now, this doesn't make any sense though. We don't expect 11 and 12 year olds to go and have kids. We don't expect that. Right? We expect people to do that now with their toys. Maybe even later. But in the EA, when you were 11 or 12, you were, you were, you were reproducing. So evolutionarily, the angle is this. I've put so much into this, and it's dead. And again, it's not... Nobody's consciously doing this. Again, I'm sure somebody is. Questions about this stuff? It's fascinating to think of these things in the light of evolution, seems to me. Unlike... It's also very uncomfortable. I guess it's the other, the other point. Is it, it's exceedingly uncomfortable to think about having children as being weird as, as, as one of their genes. You don't tend to think that way. We find it odd. But that is what you're doing. The function of sex is to have children. I think I've had about as much as I could take. How you been? A feeling that I can't break a mistake. Got in his fire, but it's already been one. Let's go. Everyone knows that they know, but I don't.
a whore in the show, so I'm sure maybe I'm wrong, but it's listening to the lecture um all of the audio is available of course on itunes or whatever podcatcher you're using just search for uh, dr dave broadbeck's psychology lectures in algoma university which is the most ungainly title ever uh these are released under a uh, um, creative commons copyright share like 3.0 canada uh you can't use these for commercial purposes um you feel free to share them uh and feel free to mash them up any way you want but if you do that that means i get to do the same thing with your stuff Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcasts, uh, like Podsafe Music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me, and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, if you want to call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music; they're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>